ministry, and uh, the assignment that the teacher had given out to the uh, kids was to go ahead and color a picture of God. So they each received their assignment, and they started making their colors, and one of the children was coloring it gray, and uh, coloring God gray, and the other one was coloring it red. And they started getting into this argument. No, no, the one who was coloring it gray said, you're coloring it, it's the wrong color, God's not red. And he was like, yeah, yeah no, this is the right color, this is right, no, 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 it's not. And they, and they started fighting back and forth. Finally, the teacher comes over and says, hey, guys, guys, knock it off. Well, what's, the big, what's the big problem? He's coloring it the wrong color, God's not red. She goes, well, why do you think he's gray? And she said, well, he said, well, that, that's what we sing in church all the time. How gray <laughs> is our God. <laughs> so today, ladies and gentlemen, as we come back to the book of Matthew, uh, we're going to go ahead and finish off this chapter. Uh, last time we were together, um, when we were in Matthew, we went and we saw the temptations of Christ. And now today, we're going to go ahead and finish it up. And the title of the message is just simply, Follow Me. Now, when you first look at this passage, we're going to look at a little geography. We're going to look at a little prophecy. We're going to look at some of the miracles there at the end. But we don't normally quote from Matthew 4.12. You know, oh, you're going through some tough times right now. Well, you know, when Jesus heard that John was put in prison, prison, he departed to Galilee. I mean, is that one that we keep in our back pocket and that we just pull out from time to time? No, not really, right? Ah, but there's a jewel. There's a nugget in the middle of this passage that says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So that begs the question, are we? Are we following Jesus? Well, what do you mean, Adam? Of course we're following Jesus. Don't you see? We're here in church, aren't we? It's Sunday. Don't you realize the game is on? Okay, well, it's really not a game today. It's just the high school slam dunk three-point championship. But I gave my life to Jesus. When I was a teenager, of course I followed Jesus, Adam. And God bless each and every one of you for being here. It says in this passage that Peter and Andrew immediately dropped their nets and followed Jesus. Then it says James and John immediately left their nets that needed mending and their father and followed Jesus. You know, sometimes I think that we get too comfortable with our Christianity. And I heard it once said that the two things that are needed in order to motivate somebody is either inspiration or desperation. You see, comfort can be a death rattle and have us doing no good for his kingdom. So today, as we open up his word, you might be in a desperate place. You might be wanting or needing your savior. Hopefully, you'll be inspired by the Holy Spirit today. And maybe you might even feel a little bit uncomfortable. But that's good because he will motivate you to follow Jesus, and truly see how great is our God. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, Lord, we are opening up your word. And God, your word does not return void. So I pray 
that as we go through these passages, as we go through your scriptures, Lord, that you would truly speak to each and every one of us. Lord, if there's something that is in our lives that needs to be changed, I pray that today would be the day that we set the spike and we make those changes. God, I pray that you would speak to us. And Lord, again, if there is something of man that is not supposed to be in this sermon, I pray that you would just have it removed or it fall upon deaf ears. But Lord, if it is of you, etch it upon our hearts. God, know how much we love you, how much we thank you. We sing your praises, and it is in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. So if you'd open up into your books to Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and the shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went about Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of, of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and departed Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. So we go ahead and we start off here. And it says, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Now, you see, Christ did not go into the country until he heard of John's imprisonment. You see, John would have been eclipsed by the sun. You would have had the distractions. There would have been the divisions then. Do you remember in 1 Corinthians, or as Donald Trump would say, 1 Corinthians 3.3? 3? <laughs> For you are still cardinal. For where there are envy and strife and divisions among you, you are carnal and behaving like mere men. 
For one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, Apollo. Are you not cardinal? You see, there would have been that same division. I am of John, or I am of Jesus. You see, the moon and the stars are lost when the sun rises. John was supposed to be Christ's harbinger, not his rival. John had done the work of baptism, of repentance, and then he was laid aside. Do you remember the witnesses in Revelation eleven seven? 7? It says in verse 7, when they finished their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. Okay, who wants to go witnessing with me after church? Anyone? No? All right, if there's no takers, then. But, but look what it says here. It says, it says, you see the witnesses are slain when? When they had finished their testimony and not before. Now, Jesus did go into the country as soon as he heard of John's imprisonment to build upon the good foundation that John had laid. God will not leave himself without a witness, nor his church without guides. When he removes one useful instrument, he can raise up another. For if that person has the Holy Spirit and God wills it, then they can do a great work. Amen? Amen. Moses, my servant, is dead. Joshua, arise. John is in prison. Jesus, arise. He departed Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Napathy. Now, first, when we think of Jesus beginning his ministry, you know, I, I think of myself. If I were going to go ahead and start my ministry, where would I go ahead and start it? Well, I'd start it right here in Running Springs. This is my home. This is where I've lived. This is where I've, I've worked. I've served those individuals that are here. But he doesn't do that, does he? No, it just simply says that leaving, he departed Galilee, Galilee and left Nazareth. <laughs> Matthew is so politically correct here, isn't he? You see, he didn't just depart, did he? Turn in your Bibles to Luke 4, verse 16. Starting in Luke 4, 16, it says, So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, so his hometown. And his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim, proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptance, acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, and having it given it back to the attendant, sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all who bore witness marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, 
is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, surely say this proverb, you, you will surely say this proverb to me. Physicians heal yourself. Whatever you have heard done in Capri, uh, Caprium, do also here in your country. Then he said, assuredly I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. Hmm. So maybe that's why he left. But wait, let's read on. Verse 25. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut for three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel at the time of Elijah, the prophet, and none of them were cleansed except Nahum, the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they had heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of a hill, which was at the edge of their city where it was built, that they might throw him over a cliff. Then passing through their midst, he went his way. So he didn't just depart, did he? No, he was rejected and despised within his hometown. As it says, as the scriptures say, and just remember, wherever Christ is not welcome, he will not stay. Now, let's go ahead and just take a look at the map so that we get some kind of an idea of, uh, of what we're talking about and where we're talking about here. First off, you've got Beersheba down on the bottom. Um, that was the first place that the Queen of Sheba ever got drunk. Then you've got um, <laughs> over here, Philadelphia. Uh, that's where they invented cream cheese. I believe it was two brothers who loved cream cheese so much that they went ahead and they uh, made that. Um, but you see, basically, if you look at the map, you've, you've got Jerusalem down here and then you see Nazareth and Capernaum up there, right? Rizna said, can any good thing ever come out of Nazareth? You see, all the cool Jews, they were hanging out down here in Jerusalem, okay? But up in Nazareth, especially Capernaum, see, what you had was you had a lot of mixed marriages. You had a lot of interbreeding and a lot of Gentiles that were up there. So can you see why? Jesus might have needed to start his ministry up there. Yeah, definitely. Plus, not to mention, see a gallery? Beautiful. Beachside city, dude. I would have totally started up my ministry there. <laughs> totally been there. Um, oh, and plus also, um, lots of hippies. <laughs> That's as good as it gets, folks. I'm sorry. <laughs> So verse 13, it says, And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zephyrim and Napoli, uh, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The land of Zephyrim, the land of Napoli, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness, and upon who sat in the region of the shadow of death, light has dawned. By the way, did you know that Isaiah was originally a poem, a poet? Yeah, if you look at this, it was actually first written like this. In the land of Led Zeppelin, in the land of Natalie, 
by way of the sea beyond the Jordan to Galilee. That's where the Gentiles, they be. Uh, by the way, that's the interpretation out of the Jack Sparrow Pirates of the Caribbean Bible. Okay, but seriously, um, if you go ahead, we find this in Isaiah 9, 1 and 2, where it foretells of the Messiah in the coming kingdom. The ministry of Jesus in Galilee, Galilee was a preview of what was yet to come. Galilee was fertile, a populated area with two major trade routes. By way of the sea, that was one of those trade routes. Verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Does this sound familiar to you guys? Flip back to chapter 3. Verse 1 in chapter 3 of Matthew, what does it say there? It says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this he, he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. So we have John prophesying about Isaiah, and we have Jesus who was prophesying also by Isaiah. So I'd pretty much say Isaiah was batting a thousand, wouldn't you? Okay. So what are the two things that we've learned? First off, Isaiah may not have been a very good poet, but he was one heck of a good prophet. Now, this goes on to show again, ladies and gentlemen, we can put our faith, our trust in God's word. When here it is, you see something that's written down in here. When God says it, he carries it out. Amen? Most definitely. Now, notice Matthew uses the phrase kingdom of heaven. The phrase appears 32 times in Matthew's gospel, while the kingdom of God is only used five times. The two phrases are basically interchangeable, but why would Matthew use the kingdom of heaven, only use the kingdom of heaven, while Mark, Luke, and John refer to the kingdom of God? The reason is because the Jewish people were looking for a literal, physical, temporal, material kingdom based there in Israel. In writing about the kingdom of heaven, Matthew is saying that Jesus talked not about a physical kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. It's bigger than all you Jews. It's larger in scope and entirely different in substance. Verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers called Peter, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, <coughs> for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and they immediately left the boat and their father, and followed him. So here we see the, Jesus calling James, Peter, John, Andrew. And now we know from Luke's gospel that these men already knew Jesus. 
Remember the story where here it is, Jesus comes up to him and says, cast out your boats, put your, put your boats out again. Hey, we've been at this all night, Jesus. Uh, I, I'm good. I don't know. Listen to me. Cast out your boats. And they go out, and what ends up happening? Right? Here it is. They can't even pull in their nets. There, there's so many fish in it. They ask others in order to help them with that catch. But you see, right here and now, here is where they're calling them into ministry. And I love how Jesus just uses two simple words. Follow me. He didn't say, take a course in evangelism. He didn't say, study this book or go to a seminar or practice this technique. He just said, if you go ahead and hang out with me, I'm going to change you. And inevitably, you're going to be like me, a fisher of men. Now, Notice what Peter was doing at the time when he was called. He was casting the net into the sea because that's how he, he preached. He was bold and evangelistic in orientation. On the day of Pentecost, Peter, um, when he preached, there was over 3,000 that were saved that were caught up in the net of his gospel. Now John, what was he doing? He was mending the nets. And John would later be called the apostle of love. And he'd go on to write scripture that would mend the church and mend people's hearts. I believe that the Holy Spirit inspired these scriptures to illustrate that the disciples' um, eventual ministries were already what they had been doing naturally. You see, God has a way of taking the natural and turning it into supernatural and giving through his grace and for his glory. Now, Jesus says two words. He says, follow me. And I love how in verse 20 and again in 22, it says, immediately. Do you know the, the Greek word for that is um, eutheos? And do you know what it means? Immediately. <laughs> or maybe you've got a King James Bible and it says straight away. But I love it because um, they aren't like the ones that ask, well, how do I inherit the kingdom of heaven? Follow me. Well, wait, let me go ahead and bury my dead first. My father has died. And Jesus says, let the dead bury themselves. And you know, the first time I heard that, I was kind of taken back and going, oh, it's kind of callous, don't you think? You know? But you see, Jesus knew this man's heart. Jesus knew that here it was, what he was saying was not, I just go, I have to go ahead and bury my father, but it was, I have to go back and I have to tend to his finances. I have to go ahead, take care of everything first. Let me go ahead and put my inheritance in my pocket. Then I'll go ahead and follow after you. See, Jesus knew that and knew his heart. So when we sit here and we look at Peter at Andrew, at John and James, they drop everything to immediately follow him. What about you? Are you following him? Are you following Jesus? Or are you waiting until I get all my affairs in order first? Let me just take care of this. Or let me take care of that. Let me just clean the house first, Jesus. Then I'll spend time with you. I'll do my Bible studies, I promise. Let me just work out first, then I'll do my daily devotion. 
you know, let me just watch the news, relax a little bit. It's been a long day. Then I'll go ahead and have some prayer time with you, Lord. See, we get caught up, all right. But it's in the nets, not in the nets that Jesus cast, but instead the nets from the enemy. The nets that divert us, that pull us away from that fellowship with him. In Psalm 5, 1 through 3, it says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditations. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For to you I will pray. My voice you, will, you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you and I will look up. His word says to meditate upon it, doesn't it? Now notice, David says here, in the morning, can I encourage you? Can I implore you? First thing in the morning when you wake up, pray. Read your Bible. Let God hear the cry of your voice early in the morning. Let the first act of each day, your first fruits, be that for God. And I promise you, you will set a course for the rest of the day that is much better than without it. Jesus says, follow me. And maybe you're sitting there and you're asking yourself, well, Adam, how do I follow Jesus? The beautiful answer to the question is quite simply, let's look to Scripture and see what it says. Actually, there's lots of different ways that we can follow Jesus, and it's all throughout Scripture. But I think what perfectly sums it up is Mark chapter 10, verse 45. And it says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, that leads, honestly, right into the, the rest of our scripture here. And it's in verse 23, as it says, And Jesus went about Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went all throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. The great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Now, it doesn't say that Jesus sat in the synagogues and listened to the gospel. It doesn't say that Jesus looked at the sick and diseased. It doesn't say that Jesus walked by the demon-possessed and epileptics and paralytics. No. Jesus served by teaching in the synagogues. Jesus served by preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus served by healing the demon-possessed, the epileptics, the paralytics. Do you want to know how to follow Jesus? He leads by example. Just as simple as he says, follow me. Well, how, Adam? How do I follow? The answer is one word. Serve. But Adam, I don't have the gift of teaching. Can you vacuum? Adam, I don't have the gift of preaching. Can you support a missionary? Adam, I don't have the gift of healing. Can you visit somebody in the hospital? 
Can you rake somebody else's pine needles? Can you clean their gutters? Can you assist the elderly with the shopping or shoveling snow? You see, we don't need to be the next Billy Graham or Chuck Smith. No, God may not have called us to even walk the streets evangelizing. But we need somebody to scrub the toilets. We need somebody to go ahead and help the elderly. We need somebody in the nursery, in children's ministry, to sit on the soundboard, to be up here. None of this happens without those who serve. So today, I want to encourage you. Don't walk out of here and go, wow, that was a great message. Go home and turn on the TV and watch the high school slam dunk three-point championships and do absolutely nothing with this message. You know, if we were to do that, it would be much like the story of the talents. Do you remember that? Servant was given just one talent. And he buried it. And the master returned. And he said, here's your one talent. And what did he say to the servant? He said, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. You ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back at least my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to those, him who has ten talents. For everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Folks, let that never be any one of us. So this is my challenge to you. This is, this is my challenge. This is my Jesus challenge, which I've gone ahead and set up for you. Number one, I want you to wake up early. Even before you get out of bed, that alarm goes off, I want you to pray a quick prayer for the day. Then go ahead, make your way to your Bible, and start off in his word. Number two, I'd like you to go ahead and follow Jesus immediately. First, if you're on the fence post regarding your salvation, make that decision right now. Right here, right now. Make that decision. There'll be pastors up front if you want prayer. Take that decision, but do it right now. You're already a believer? Not a problem. Um, is there some area in your life that needs improvement? Maybe you let a profanity slip here and there. Tighten that up. Maybe you can need to be more forgiving to your husband or to somebody that's at work or to the flatlanders that come up here. <laughs> Follow Jesus, folks. Number three, serve in some capacity. Serve those in your house. Serve those at church. Serve those at your church. Serve those at work in some way, shape, or form. Go ahead and serve in some capacity. And you know, I have done it time and time again where here it was, somebody needed to be moved, somebody needed something done around the house, and I'm like, oh, I'm tired. I just got off of work, worked a 12-hour shift, and now I got to go help this person. 
You know who ended up being blessed more than that person? Yeah. But God is good. And he gives us a leader who leads by example. Jesus was the perfect example. Peter, Andrew, James, and John dropped their nets. Are you ready to drop yours? Are you ready to be fishers of men? Are you ready to follow him? We're going to go ahead and celebrate communion today. And I'd like the men to go ahead and start handing out the elements. I'd like the worship team to go ahead and make their way back up to the stage. And as they do, a passage from the book of John 6, 51 through 58. It says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give as the life to the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless you eat of my flesh of the Son of Ganan and drink of his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. I went to a Catholic funeral one time. And I thought that it was a beautiful thing that they had communion at a funeral. Because as we sit there and we think about our own mortality, it's a wonderful time to get right with Jesus. But the interesting thing happened. The priest stood up and he said, if you're a Catholic, go ahead and you may receive the Eucharist and receive the wine. But if you're not Catholic, go ahead and cross your arms in front of you and we'll pray a blessing for you. You know, I don't remember when Jesus fed the 3,000 or when he fed the 5,000, that he said, if you are not of this, or if you are not a Jew, just cross your arms, and I'll bless you. All who came and ate and drank, his arms were open like this. So as we celebrate that today, and you hold the body and the blood of Christ in your hands, Hold on to it. And we're all going to go ahead and partake together. As we just celebrated Easter, truly remembered what it was that he did for us on the cross. These elements are not something that should be taken lightly. And it says in the scriptures that it shouldn't be. That if we do not prepare our hearts, we receive it in an unworthy manner. So we're going to take a moment. Pray. Prepare your hearts to receive what he has done for us.
Dear precious Heavenly Father, God, what you did for us, we didn't deserve it. And there's no works that we could do to ever measure up for what you did on the cross. God, we are a wretched and filthy race. But Lord, we also know that our slate has been wiped clean. That our robes made white as snow because of your blood. So Jesus, forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of what we have done and what we have failed to do. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Let's go ahead and partake together. Body, blood of Christ.